Yeah, somebody was grateful to have me come up. Thanks, Debbie. I also want to know, why when men, why when men try to make manly sounds, do we sound like monkeys? Oh, 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 oh. What's that? Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As our country embarks on another season of Christmas celebrations, what Lucy and Charlie Brown Christmas described as, you know, deck the halls and all that stuff, we want to take this Sunday to recall how to think about and how to celebrate Christmas. So we were going to start our Advent, Songs of Advent series, but we're going to push that back a week because the Lord put uh, this passage, or I mean this uh, sermon on my heart for us. Socrates once famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living, and I would propose I would assert the unexamined holiday is not worth celebrating. The unexamined holiday is not worth celebrating. We might illustrate it um, in this way. Have you ever been driving along somewhere? Maybe you're going to run an errand across town, or maybe you're taking a trip with your family, and you're driving along, but you begin driving on autopilot. I'm not talking about some of you who have cars that drive themselves. I'm talking about you personally on autopilot, in your mind. Something on the radio, get your attention. Something with your spouse is talking about, get your attention. One of your kids is acting up in the back seat, and you've got to remind them, you will pull this car over, and you will turn this car around. And you're in autopilot. You're not thinking about where you're driving anymore. Uh, You're mulling over something. You're thinking about something in your head. You're not really paying attention to what you're doing. And what happens when we drive on autopilot? Sometimes you miraculously arrive where you intended to. You get to the grocery store, and you kind of come out of the trance, and you think, how in the world did I get here? I don't remember any lights. I don't remember, were there pedestrians? I have no idea. And then other times you get there, and um, but you don't get there, because you missed the turn. Or... You accidentally go to the wrong store. Or you get there and you've forgotten half of what you intended to pick up there. Whenever we go into autopilot on anything, it's not surprising that given a little time, we forget where we are going, or at some point, we forget what we are supposed to be doing. We forget where we're going, we forget what we're doing, and I would note that it's at that point in time that we are most vulnerable to listen to what other people say we ought to be doing and to listen to them about where we ought to be going. Whenever we are just cruising along in a mindless tradition, a mindless traditionalism, it doesn't take long for us to err. It does not take long for us to veer off in sin and error pining. And in our text this morning, we are called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
So it's not mindless autopilot, but it's taking every thought captive to Jesus, which is to say everything we do should be done in submission to Christ. Everything we do should be done in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this includes how we raise our kids, how we spend our money, how we relate to coworkers, how we observe holidays, and yes, how we think about and celebrate Christmas. So our text this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For those of you taking notes, the title of our sermon is Taking Christmas Captive. Taking Christmas Captive. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. I invite you to please follow along now as I read God's holy and authoritative word to us. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Lord, we ask that you would bless now both the preaching and the believing of your word. Well, Paul tells the Corinthians here, and through this passage, God is telling us that we live, we still live in the flesh. We walk in the flesh, Paul says. That is, we live this Christian life in the flesh, uh, but we do not conduct our warfare according to the flesh. We do not fight the good fight uh, according to the flesh. What he's saying is we're still material beings, right? This is what Paul means by flesh here. Sometimes he uses flesh to refer to our sin nature, to refer to the part of us that is in rebellion against God, but in uh, other times he re- uses it to refer to our physical existence, our bodily existence, our life in the actual flesh, and that's what he's talking about here. Paul is saying even after you're converted, even after you've repented of your sins, believed in Jesus Christ, been given a new heart, and his spirit now dwells within you, even still, you walk out this Christian life as a material being. As a Christian, you are still a physical being living in a physical world. But we don't live according to the logic of this world. We do not live according to the thinking of the flesh. And we certainly don't conduct our warfare according to the flesh. This is verse 3. Our lives are material, but they are not worldly. And this is similar to what Jesus teaches in John 17, that we are in the world, but no longer of it. We live out our lives in this world, uh, and in this way we act just like many other people in this world. For instance, we get up in the morning, we go to work just like everyone else does, in the physical sense. We live out our lives in this world, but we don't live out our lives as if we are of this world. So we don't go to work like the world goes to work, thinking that it's about self-fulfillment or personal achievement or individual enrichment. The distinction to be made here is the difference of living out your life on earth versus living out your life as if you're of earth. All of us live out our lives on earth, but we are not to live out our lives as if we are of this earth. 
This is the distinction that Paul states in verse 4, goes on to state in verse 4, when he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So we live in the world, but we don't fight like we're of the world. We live out our lives in the flesh, but we don't fight the good fight like we're of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, he says, don't be mistaken. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Just because they're not of the flesh does not mean they're weak. Just because they're not according to the flesh does not mean that they are ineffectual in this world. Just the reverse, actually. Paul says our weapons are mighty through God. They have divine power for the toppling of strongholds. Our weapons are not of the flesh, but they are mighty through God to destroy the enemy's castles, to overthrow satanic strongholds. But, now, where are those citadels of Satan located? Where are these fortresses of evil situated? Paul locates them here in two places. Paul says in verse 5, they are located in arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. The arguments and arrogant opinions of unbelieving men exalt themselves against, over and against the knowledge of God. They erect a high place from which they can suppress the truth about God. But our weapons cast them down and take them captive. Our weapons, verse 5 says, destroys arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and takes every thought captive to obey Christ. This is our warfare. This is our spiritual warfare. This is a lot of what spiritual warfare actually is. And it is total. And it is everywhere. It is absolute. Paul says that we have powerful weapons, mighty through God, and our warfare warfare is one of taking every thought captive. So not just the worst thoughts, not just the most obvious thoughts, not just the random thoughts, but every thought. The mission of the church on earth is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded, which means we go into the nations taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, this extends not only out into the world, out into the nations, but this extends out into our calendars as well. This extends out into our time as well. It extends out into our time, it extends out into our calendars, and it extends out into our celebrations and our holidays. It extends into how we think about and celebrate them, including how we think about and celebrate Christmas. So we're considering how to take Christmas captive to Christ. How do we think about and celebrate this holiday in light of the lordship, lordship of Jesus Christ? And this is actually this is actually a huge topic. This is a really big topic. Uh, I felt like the Lord gave me this uh, to, to study this week and think about and, and deliver to you all. And then I sat down to do it and I just realized there is way more here than I will ever be able to say unless I can preach all day long. Thank you, the three of you that said that. Um, <laughs> but you were outruled. Um, 
the silent have spoken. So um, I, I actually, I felt like I had this, uh, I had this analogy come to my mind. I felt like the guy who goes to like a Christmas tree farm, right? And he sizes up the Christmas tree uh, and he says, that's the perfect Christmas tree for us. Oh, you know, it's beautiful. And his wife comes along to, beside him and she very tactfully notes, you know, it is a very nice tree, dear, but it's also a very fat tree. Very nice tree, but it's a very fat tree. Not sure it will fit in our living room. But the man is confident in his assessment. It'll go perfect in the corner. So he chops the tree down. He gets it all bound up. You know, they take it through that net and, and he takes it home and he sets it up. And then, behold, he cuts that binding and the tree. And he thinks, that's a fat tree. <laughs> she was right. These branches reach out half across the room. And I mean, it's great because we got, we got a lot of room to put gifts under here, um, but there ain't a lot of room for us in this room. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's a lot of trimming to the tree that needs to be done. And that's what I felt like yesterday. I felt like I was lopping off branches of this sermon left and right. I was trimming this thing down. Um, trust I'll use my lopped off branches in the future because I think they're good ones, but not for today. So needless to say, I can't say everything today that, I, that could be said. But I still have some things that I'd be like, uh, I need to say. And so we're going to consider our topic under two headings this morning. First, thinking about Christmas like Christians. And then second, celebrating Christmas like Christians. So point number one, thinking about Christmas like Christians. Taking every thought captive about uh, about Christmas, taking taking every thought captive ab- or every thought about Christmas captive to Christ, uh, bringing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ, bringing it into His Word and under His Word, we must immediately point out that Scripture never commands us to celebrate Christmas. Maybe we need to state the obvious: the Bible never instructs us to observe Christmas. So, no Christian is obligated to observe Christ- Christmas. Moreover, Paul insists that we ought not to judge a brother if he esteems one day as better than another, or if he esteems all days alike. That's Romans 14, 5 through 12, a passage for your consideration this week, Romans 14, 5 through 12. So, if Scripture nowhere commands us to celebrate Christmas, if we're not under obligation to celebrate it, then where do we begin to think about Christmas like Christians? Well, I would say we begin at the beginning, because the beginning is a very good place to Thank you, Richard. Right on cue. When God created everything, he made both space and time. He made both space. He created everything in existence, the world and everything in existence. Um, But he also made time, and there was day and night and time. So the Lord or God is not only the Lord of the earth, the Lord of creation, but he is also the Lord of time. Psalm 118:24 declares, "This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it." So every day is the Lord's day because he's made it. And every day ought to be rejoiced in and celebrated as a gift from God. Moreover, when the prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus' coming, he said, 
Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Here we see that the spread of Jesus' kingdom is not just over territory, but is actually also through time. From this time forth and forevermore. And the verse before this one, Isaiah 9-6, which was read in our Advent reading today, declares Jesus the everlasting Father. Father here being a, a benevolent protector. So Jesus is the everlasting Father, and he reigns from this time forth and forevermore. So God is Lord of time, and Jesus being God is also Lord of time. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but so too is the calendar the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And this is why, if you're following all this, okay, following with me here, this is why when Christians killed off the giants of the pagan world, mind you, using their spiritual weapons aimed at the thoughts and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, as they captured and killed off the giants of the pagan world, they hung their heads up on the days of the week. Sunday, Moon's Day, Trist Day, Odin's Day, Thor's Day, and so on. At best, the Christian calendar is simply more of this. It is extending the lordship of Jesus Christ over time. Taking all of time captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is what our Christian fathers were doing when they began celebrating Christmas. The early church celebrated what we call Easter, they called it Pascha, which means Passover. Uh, they celebrated it right away. We call it Easter. They celebrated it right away. This included the weekly Easter of the Lord's Day. Jesus rose to life on the first day, uh, first day of the week, Mark 16, 9, and John 20, verse 1. The apostles then set the pattern for us of meeting on Sundays instead of on Saturdays, Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And John named Sunday the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10. So that in the main, Christians have been celebrating Easter, been celebrating Jesus' resurrection on a weekly basis ever since every single Sunday. Now, one of the biggest controversies in the early church, there were many big controversies in the early church, one of the biggest controversies in the early church sprung up in the second century, so that's in the 100s, right after the apostles uh, died, uh, one of the biggest uh, controversies was how to calculate the date of Easter annually. What's the, what's the anniversary of Easter? That was a great debate in the second century over when Easter should be celebrated annually. But it was never debated if Easter should be celebrated annually. Everyone agreed that it should be, they just need to figure out when exactly. So right from the start, God's people celebrated Jesus' resurrection, his being the firstborn from the dead. We celebrated it on a weekly basis, and we celebrated it on an annual basis. But we were a little slower to begin celebrating Jesus' birth as a man. That came just a little bit later. The celebration of Christmas on December 25th is first mentioned in the year 336. It had been going on for some time before that, but it was around then that it had become widely practiced, widely accepted, widely observed. 
And there are at least two competing theories of why December 25th was chosen. One is that for various reasons, uh, the church fathers believed Jesus had been conceived on March 25th, around the date of his death. And that Christmas, therefore, because of the way God makes babies, nine months later, December 25th. So that was one uh, reason December 25th was highlighted in the early church. A second one, a second reason uh, that was also a part to play there, uh, has to do with the ancient Roman celebration of the rebirth of the unconquered son, Sol Invictus, on December 25th. This holiday not only marked the return of longer days after the winter solstice, but it also followed the popular Roman festival the week before called Saturnalia, where people celebrated by feasting and giving gifts and lighting candles. And so the idea there is that Christianity's adapted and countered this pagan holiday with the celebration of the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. So which one actually won out in history? Which was the real reason why we landed on December 25th? Um, historians don't know. Historians don't have a consensus. Both are present uh, back in history, so we don't know which one had you know, a greater following or had more sway. But nevertheless, it makes sense that Christians would eventually choose to celebrate the birth of Christ at some point in the year. After all, next to his death and resurrection, Jesus' incarnation is the most incredible thing that has ever happened. I mean, think about it. The Word became flesh. God became man. The Creator became creation. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life took on temporal life. The transcendent drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The powerful became weak. Spirit became matter. Eternity became time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The ruler became ruled. The exalted became humbled. And we could just keep going on at the amazing paradoxes inside the incarnation of God. This is something to marvel at. This is something to celebrate. And so that's exactly what the ancient Christians did. They celebrated Christmas. Now, moving along in church history, we come to the Reformation in the 1600s. And as I've heard said before, the ship of the church calendar at that point had been covered over in barnacles. There were hundreds of saint days and all kinds of religious observances. So the reformers did what they do best. They went to work scraping virtually all the barnacles off of the church calendar, keeping only what they called the five evangelical feast days. The five evangelical feast days. They pared it all down to just five days anchored to the life and ministry of Christ. So there was Christmas and Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost, all five related to the things Jesus did and not to saints like Barbara, patron to those who works with explosives, who is a real saint, and if you did not know, today is her feast day. Happy feast day. The goal of the the reformers was... 
don't be distracted away from Jesus. If we're going to have holidays and celebrations in the church, they must be centered on Christ. They must be anchored in Christ. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So Christmas was celebrated by the angels. It was celebrated by the shepherds. It was celebrated by the magi. It was recorded for us in the gospels. It was explained to us in the epistles. And since at least the 200s, it has been celebrated by Christians. It has been celebrated by the reformers. And this brings us to the distinction then we need to make today and think about how to apply all this. Having learned all this, how do we apply all this? Well, we need to make the distinction between holy days and holidays. Holy days and holidays. Now, some of you out there are thinking, now, wait a minute, I thought holidays meant holy days, which it does, but no one thinks about it like that anymore, so just go with this, okay? Because holy days and holidays sound really good, and I just want you to have that distinction. So holy days and holidays, that's the distinction we're working with, okay? You follow me? Holy days and holidays. According to Scripture, according to the Bible, we only have one holiday, or I mean one holy day, in the new covenant. And that's today. That's the Lord's day. Set apart in the word of God by the authority of God. As Christians, we only have one calendar obligation. Not one calendar option, but one calendar obligation. The first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, is the Lord's day. And we meet together on it. We gather together for worship on it. Scripture commands us not to neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's Hebrews 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25. So, Sunday is a Christian's only calendar obligation. Now, this does not mean if you miss a Sunday because you're sick, then you're somehow in sin. And I don't think this means that on occasion, you might find it necessary to maybe travel on a Sunday or something where you have to miss church. The principle of what Jesus taught about the Sabbath, I think, applies here, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so I don't think we should be so dogmatic about Sunday attendance that, you know, we're, we're back in the back, like, checking if you're, you know, here or not, or what's going on. Um, I want you to notice in the warning in Hebrews, the warnings against the habit of neglecting to meet together. When it is a habit that you are neglecting Sunday, when it is a habit, you need the loving community to come around you and hold you accountable. You need lovingly rebuked and possibly disciplined. When there is a habit of neglecting to meet together on the Lord's day, we need accountability. We might eventually need discipline. But short of it being a habit, there is some freedom here. Short of a pattern of this in your life, there is some liberty here only. Let me remind you of Paul's warning regarding liberty. In Galatians 5, verse 13, he cautions, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh, Galatians 5, 13. From this, I would exhort you, do not use your liberty to stay at home in your PJs, tuning into the live stream because you are unusually tired, because you have had a hard week, because the kids are acting up this morning. Don't use your freedom 
to duck out early so that you can make it home in time for the kickoff. We do not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now Christmas, Christmas is a holiday, not a holy day. Meaning, it's not obligated. We're not obligated to celebrate it. Which means, you should think about Sunday as more important than Christmas. You should think about the Lord's Day as more important than Christmas. Now, you don't have to celebrate Christmas, like we said, but what about those pesky years when Christmas falls on Sunday? Which just so happens to be this pesky year. How do you think about that? If you don't celebrate Christmas, that's probably not a big deal to you. Just another Sunday. I'll be there. But if you do celebrate Christmas, as I know most of you do, this might be a very big deal to you. This might be a very big inconvenience to you and your Christmas traditions. But I would offer, is not this the very place where we might take Christmas captive to obey Christ? Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, and on average that happens once every seven years. So we've got to deal with this fairly regularly. The last time this happened was in 2016. And for those of you here back then, uh, you might recall, we canceled church that Sunday. We canceled church that Sunday, that Lord's Day, and we have been repenting ever since. I mean, not really, but we are now. Not really, but we are now. Because we didn't have this distinction back then. We weren't thinking, but we, we, we had not learned this. We had not, God had not illuminated our eyes to it. Um, but through study, through seeking the Lord, through pressing in, uh, we believe the Lord has taught us this. We're so grateful we can learn. Aren't you glad you can learn? <laughs> I'm so grateful the Lord continues to teach us and disciple us as we go along. And so as such, your pastors this year are not canceling church on Sunday uh, because it is the Lord's day. And so we will gather to worship him on that day. And so we are calling you to join us for the Lord's day this December 25th, 2022. Now we know this will interrupt your traditions. We realize this will complicate your family gatherings. We know that this will make preparations of that Whoville roast beef all the more hard. Um, We get that because it's gonna do it to our lives as well. But let me just throw out, and, and listen, I should just say this as well. Listen, this is that area where we are educating your conscience. We are trying to educate your conscience, but we have no desire to sit here and police your conscience on this matter. Okay, so, so on Christmas Day, uh, one of us is not going to be standing back in the back making a list and checking it twice, <laughs> finding out who's naughty or nice. We're not policing your conscience like that, but we are educating your conscience. Uh, We are teaching into this, and we are calling you to have faith and believe that there is good in God's ways. And to believe that this is one way we can take Christ captive, uh, or take Christmas captive to the obedience of Christ this year. Uh, This may be one of the the best and most practical ways we can treasure Christ over our Christmas traditions this year. And parents, this may be one of the most and best practical ways you can disciple your children through Christmas this year. That is a great holiday. But there's one holy day. 
We gather on the Lord's day, the first day, the day he was resurrected. Point number two then. Point number two then. How, or not point, point number two is um, celebrating Christmas as Christians. Celebrating Christmas as Christians. Paul says in verse five that we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, The Greek word for captive means to take control, to conquer, to bring into submission. It's a violent word. We take captive. We make it submit. Even, even though, um, even, even, or every thought that is brought under the control of Christ. And this includes how we think about and celebrate Christmas. So. Here's my exhortation to you about celebrating Christmas as Christians. My exhortation is center your traditions on Christ. Center your most meaningful and most memorable traditions on Jesus Christ. Uh, Many things we regard as Christmassy are little more than a century or two old, actually. Our idea of a traditional Christmas is actually a very Victorian Christmas. Christmas. Uh, I'm talking about sleigh bells and falling snow and Christmas cards and jolly old St. Nicholas. Uh, A lot of the Christmas traditions we observe came together in only the last century or so. Uh, So just take one of the most popular, for example. Uh, Take that of of Santa bringing Christmas gifts to children. Uh, There was in the fourth century a Christian named St. Nicholas who was a godly man. Uh, He was known for his generosity to children And uh, he actually attended the Council of Nicaea, which is the first ecumenical council in 325 AD. It was a big deal. And uh, at least one urban legend has Nicholas uh, getting so fed up in the debates of of that council that that he actually lost his cool and punched the heretic Arius there, who was arguing that Jesus was not co-eternal with God. Now, it's unfortunate that, in my opinion, that that somehow did not work itself into the Santa myth. Because I, I think that would be a really, that would just spice Christmas up a little bit there. Over time, though, the reputation of St. Nicholas morphed so that by the, the 19th century, he had been made into uh, an elf. And, and not, not the elf we think of when we think of Santa, but, but a little elf, a tiny elf. And that is how he fit down your chimney. Makes sense, right? As much as... Elves make sense, I guess. So he was a little elf that you might remember in the poem, he rode in a miniature sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer. We, we've forgotten the size factor uh, with St. Nicholas. So, so generous St. Nicholas uh, became a gift-giving small tiny elf named Santa Claus uh, who was then brought to America and we turned him into a gigantic fat elf. So that when he laughed, his belly shook like a bowl full of jelly. This is what America does, people. We just, we make people fat. That's, uh, you know, every part of the body building up, you know, this is what we got. Now, here's the question I want to ask. I want to ask you, you know, kidding aside uh, some. Why would a Christian who has found in Jesus the greatest treasure in the world, Why would they ever want to let the myth of Santa obscure the truth of Christ for their children? Why would they ever dream of letting Santa's message that you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Little jerk of a kid, get up your bed. 
I mean, we sing it more nicely than that, but that is the message. Santa Claus is coming to town. Naughty or nice. Why would we ever let that message somehow eclipse the message of Christmas? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The birth of Jesus, fully God. You can clap for that. Yeah. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, is simply stunning and infinitely glorious. The angel called it good news of great joy. Not some news of small joy or a little bit of news of little joy. It's good news of great joy. Joy, if we're going to celebrate Christmas as Christians, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, we have to ask, why would we divert attention away from good news of great joy? Why would we take attention away from the incarnation of the God of the universe into this world to save us and our children? Why would we ever do that? So my appeal to you is that you give special attention, special attention and special effort to center your most meaningful and memorable Christmas, Christmas traditions on Christ. Give special effort and special attention to center your most memorable and meaningful Christmas traditions on Jesus Christ. Now to get practical for, with you for a minute, uh, we do this in our family, and I have uh, Jenny largely to thank for this. She gets a lot of the credit here because she really helps to pull so much of this off. She helped pull it together and she helped pull it off. And today she's serving downstairs, uh, but I think she's listening. Well done, honey. This is what we do and some of the things that we do in our family. Uh, these are a few of our traditions, which I'm happy to recommend, but I do so uh, uh, you know, under the auspice that we, not saying, we, we don't do this perfectly. Um, and neither am I saying, any, you know, anyone has to do it the way that we do it. I, I'm not doing that. All I'm trying to do is, is illustrate for you some ways you might consider doing it. So let me give you a few of the, uh, examples from our lives. Uh, first, we do Advent devotions. I know many of you do this as well. We do Advent devotions with our kids uh, every day from December 1st through Christmas. Um, and there are lots of good devotions out there. A lot, tons of good devotions out there, but we like one. One we keep coming back to is called Truth in the Tinsel. Uh, Truth in the Tinsel. And we like it a lot because the devotions are very simple. It's just read a passage and then there's a couple, there's like two or three sentences around it. Um, and so it's very simple, which when you have little kids and you have lots of kids, simple is good. Simple is gold. Simple is great. And so we love the simple devotions, but there's also a craft that goes with it. And so with the kids, that just really helps to bring that home for them, bring it home for them. And so we do that every day um, through, uh, through December. And we also use this um, wooden spiral candle, kind of goes in itself, uh, called Cradle to Cross, uh, where you light a new candle uh, every day of December, uh, representing the light of Christ coming into the world. And so it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And so that's just a visual way for us to show our kids, you know, and there's this, this little Mary on a donkey and she's making her way in towards Christ coming. 
So that's one thing that we do. A second thing that we, we try to do to, to make the most of Christ in Christmas is we, we always try to uh, attend a live nativity. Um, that's been harder to do with out of COVID the last couple of years, but hopefully we can get back into this really well. Um, a live nativity, because it, it leaves such an impact on our children, uh, and it leaves such an impact on us. And God bless those churches who do that hard work to pull those off. Those things are incredible. Uh, and I think that they leave a real impression, so we love doing that. Um, Okay, lastly, I'll, I'll just give you this one. Um, on Christmas morning, we do a few things. So this is Christmas morning. I'll give you a few examples. Um, first, first thing we do is Jenny and I wake the kids up. Um, so they don't wake us up, we wake them up at three in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, they're awake, um, but they wait for us because this is the tradition. We wake them up um, singing, Good Christian men rejoice. With heart and soul and voice, give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ was born today. So we wake them up singing to them to help them focus and center on Jesus Christ. And you know the kids all start hopping in their beds and getting all excited. And this is Jesus' birthday. This is great. Wonderful. Ah, Jesus. And we're like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And so then everybody, this is the second thing we do. Everybody runs back to mom and dad's bed. We get in mom and dad's bed. And, uh, and then we read through the Christmas story out of scripture. We read through the Christmas story with them. And then we have a, um, a little play school nativity that I think Diane Walter gave us years ago when we first moved here. It was a little play school nativity. And so everybody has a character and we just, we act out the, the Christmas story um, through it. And usually angels are flying everywhere and donkeys are running everywhere. But you know, but we work it, we work it out and the main thing happens. And, uh, and I, was, I was blessed last night. I was asking the kids, you know, what are your favorite Christmas traditions that we do? What do you guys, what do you guys love that we do? And everyone said, this is our favorite. Uh, is, is that special time in the morning Christmas morning in the bed before we go downstairs, uh, reading and acting out the, the nativity. And I just thought, oh, bless you children. Everybody have candy. Um, <laughs> third and finally, third and finally, in our gift exchange uh, Christmas morning, in our gift exchange, we always give a gift to Jesus, right? Because it's his birthday. And what do you do on a birthday? You give gifts to people whose birthday it is, right? And so we give a gift um, to Jesus on his birthday. Uh, our kids understand this. This is what you do on your birthday. So Ginny came, came up with this. Uh, in Matthew 25, um, you remember Jesus talks about giving gifts. He says, he talks about uh, when you gave him food, when you gave me drink, when you gave me clothing. And they said, when did we do these things, Master? And he said, when you did it unto the least of these, right? And so our gift on Christmas morning to Jesus is always a gift to Samaritan's Purse or some other ministry that is ministering to uh, the poor or to orphans or to uh, widows. Um, you know, so you can buy chickens for them or buy Bibles for them or, or different things. Uh, and so we do, that's our gift to Jesus. So we read that passage with the kids and then we go over that gift with them. And, and there's an excellent example. Right next door, we have those... Um, we have the tree next door with the gifts for the Bear Foundation for those kids. And so that could be your gift, that you could do this too. You know, only just remember to bring it back out on Christmas morning and highlight with the kids, we got a gift for Jesus. Um, and it just reminds them, this is Jesus' birthday. So those are a few examples from our family. And again, you don't have to do it like we do it, but I do think you have to find a way for you and your family to do it. I do think you have to find a way for you and your family to do it. We need to make a special effort to center our most memorable and meaningful Christmas traditions on Christ. So listen, 
What's that mean? Silver bells, falling snow, Christmas cards, electric light strung all over the house, stockings over the fireplace, gifts given, fudge and eggnog, wine and roast beef. Are we fine with all that? Oh yeah. (laughs) That's good stuff. That's why we got decorations all over here because that's just cultural decoration. That's just prettying up the season and making it festive as a joyous holiday should be. But... What are we doing? What are we commemorating? We are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That's what we're doing through any Christmas celebration that we have. That's what we are commemorating. Jesus has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And he does this, he does this through his cross and resurrection. He does this through his cross and resurrection, and I'll close with this then. Easter is the goal of Christmas. Just remember that. Easter is the goal of Christmas. The death and resurrection, the salvation of sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is the goal of Christmas. Mild he lay, we sang this earlier, mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus came at Christmas to seek and save the lost. Jesus came at Christmas to save sinners. Jesus came at Christmas to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came at Christmas not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came at Christmas to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came at Christmas that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And this is why tidings of his birth are good news of great joy. Let's celebrate Christmas like Christians. Let's pray. But Father in heaven, God, we're so thankful that we can take this time of year, this season in the calendar, to consecrate our hearts and our lives to you, Christ, and to the coming of of you to save us, (laughs) to the incarnation and the wonder and the beauty of God becoming man. I pray that this Christmas you would help us to take it captive to you, Jesus. That our celebrations would be intentional and thoughtful. That our hearts would be merry. Lord, help us to not let the busyness of the season or the materialism of the season, the commercialism of the season, the myths and magic of the season all out there, help that not to distract us from the reason for the season. Christ, be first in our hearts this Christmas. And Lord, would you send us out? Would you make us a people who are quick to tell others the good news of great joy that unto us has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.